This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call on Thursday, 31st of August 2023 and um, markets at least in equities, are in a, in a happy mood. I would actually say across the market, but we can come back to that. Um, S&P 500 futures on slide two have moved above the 50% retracement level from from that decline that, that happened from around, well, basically the start of August. So um, we've, we're steadily climbing back. The cyclical sectors are coming back. If we look at the yesterday's performance, um, we had a little bit of action in commodities. That's a good thing, well, because you're here, um, and and yeah, and bubble stocks were also doing uh, bubble stocks were also doing uh, doing better. And defense, defense is still doing still doing great. A lot of demand coming, and then of course the big story you can see down there, the renewable energy was down almost two percent. That was on the back of uh, a shocking uh, two point three billion dollars uh, write down impairment on their product assets for Orsted. Orsted is this um, utility company here in, in Europe, but also one of the world's largest offshore wind project developers. And um, that was a pretty hefty. And I think it, it, I had a comment which you can find on analysis.saxo if you can find my name and then you can then you can read it. And I think the, the quick takeaway is that there is a, an increasingly a risk premium being built into Orsted uh, from their complexity in the operating model. It's a very complex thing. And I think... They have not been good enough of telling shareholders what are actually the sensitivities from high interest rate, high material cost, etc., and regulatory framework like these tax credits. What are their sensitivities into the overall value of those assets on the balance sheet? And I think investors are pretty frustrated. We now are in a 70% drawdown from the peak back in February 2021. I mean, this is really getting ugly. But uh, I had a piece a couple of weeks ago on Orsted showing how there's, you know, back in February 2021, Orsted was priced as a technology company, massive uh, risk premium or, or, or valuation premium to to the overall utility sector. Okay, we shouldn't talk too much about Orsted, but it, that was a big event yesterday. So if you if you if you're interested in that, you can you can have a look. But basically, all the momentum extending here. I think this view of peak rates are setting in uh, the markets. That's really what the market is sort of taking as the clue. Earnings estimates are slowly climbing higher, so and, and the VIX is getting very low. We're below 14. It seems like everything is just just very very calm, basically. And um, well, the euro dollar have uh, have come back. Uh, I don't know, rather significantly, or what would you say, or is it or is it more interesting to talk about the dollar yen? What do you think, Ole? Well, I think. Uh, well, both actually these days because uh, but just looking at euro dollar, it, it, it you can put that on top of the S and P chart almost. It, it, there there is one driver right now, and that is the focus on the intense focus on on uh, the direction of of U.S. Uh, short term yields, uh, short term rates, and um, it. Our view is that we are we are heading towards uh, what we call a hawkish pause, basically a pause where they'll try to keep the keep the market uh, from guessing uh, too much about uh, or moving straight towards uh, pricing and rate cuts because that obviously would be defeat the uh, the objective and that's why they the going to a pause is, is really a, a, a it's going to be a tricky maneuver for them because uh, even though they would like to say well the next one is a rate cut but we we can of course not talk about it so but the market is is starting to preempt that with the weakness we're seeing in data this week so um yeah, but but it's also important to note, Ole, that the, the the problem for the ECB as well is that that inflation rates are all over the place in Europe. So they yeah. 
they're quite low here in Denmark. They're coming down in in uh, in the Netherlands, but they are have exceeded actually estimates to the upside both in Germany and France. So you have this unequal landscape of, mm. of inflation rate and that makes it, it difficult and that is why I think you're right and we talked about it just recently in our internal call we always have this one hour um, call where we go really deep uh, on Thursdays and um, yeah the uh, our thinking is that they're going for this uh, hawkish pause in the yeah. ECB and it and the result has uh, has has for now has been the dollar focus and uh, that's driving uh, euro dollar high and you can see we we take out the the down that quite a steep downtrend we had uh, in the past couple of months it's more or less also the steep downtrend we had in in the gold price which we come we'll talk about a bit later but uh, but uh, for now i think the, the, the in in the near term the 10960 level is really the key there because uh, again we're looking at these retracement levels and they give us an idea about how the strength of the the bounce and uh, obviously if we get rejected 10960 is just a weak correction within the downtrend so uh, that's really where the battle is uh, where the battle lies ahead one thing one i'll say that i think has disappointed a little bit is is dollar yen uh, the fact that we haven't seen more yen strength uh, based on this uh, this peak uh, focus we've seen 10 year us yields down 25 basis points from the recent peak but yen hasn't really benefited accordingly, and uh, and that's one we probably should keep an eye on because right now we're still holding above that level where the intervention was uh, triggered last September. Yeah, but I think it also comes back to recent comments from the governor of the Bank of Japan saying that they they feel pretty comfortable with the current policy rate that they're setting. They they don't see any structural changes in the inflation landscape for in in Japan. Whether you agree or not with that assessment, that is why they they feel pretty comfortable apparently. So, uh, but I I don't know. I I, I just and and of course if 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 we start to see a change in sentiment towards the the Federal Reserve and Fed rates, then obviously that will also take the pressure of them to uh, to to uh, to move. So um, yeah, we'll see. Absolutely, but, but I I think Japan. Maybe the Bank of Japan is underestimating, but obviously they know they know the they know the type of economy they have. But they are pretty dependent, as you will know, all uh, on energy and commodity imports in general. So if we and we talked about that, and, and you're going to talk about commodities now, what we were talking about maybe if you look at the Bloomberg Commodities Spot Index, it we have now been in a slight uptrend mm. since the uh, since the local bottom. Um, I don't know a couple of months ago, and it seems like we have maybe we have turned a corner. And if we are, Steen, our chief investment officer, said that there are signs potentially that we are maybe gearing up for a, for a new wave higher here in commodities, and that if that's the case, with the recent bump up in in inflation in Japan, maybe that could actually make things worse. So, let's see what happens with policies in uh, in Japan. Absolutely, and actually talk about commodities uh, in terms of um, whether we are we turn the bottom and or turn a turn a corner and and uh, look for higher prices. Um, I'm going to put out a small piece uh, later today, just uh, highlighting the, some of the recent changes in ETF flows in commodities. It does give an obviously an idea about how investors uh, look at the market. And one thing we find quite interesting is, is still there's quite a quite a lot of selling in in gold, and uh, at a time where we potentially are seeing a turnaround there, so that could could that could support the up uh, the updrift or the upturn. But um, but the, the the focus is really uh, or the main interest for the past couple of months has really been broad exposure to commodities and i think that tells a, tells quite an interesting story but digging uh, into uh, into the individual ones uh, i just want to highlight one that we we don't talk about that often um it's one we we i'm sure most people enjoy it's cocoa um we have seen prices there just on a relentless rise now for 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 several months and we almost hit a well we hit the the highest level in 11 years. Yesterday, we're getting close to an all-time record, and uh, basically, it is 
El Nino concerns that's uh, hurting uh, the prospect for production in West Africa and Asia, and um, it's, it's, it's that El Nino is, is going to unfortunately going to be one we're going to be talk about more and more into the into the autumn months because uh, El Nino has been confirmed in Asia. Uh, Australia could uh, it could have quite an quite an impact, especially in, in Asia, but also South America, where there's concerns about but coffee prices potentially also coffee starting to show show signs of a turnaround. So. Um, it just highlights that the inflationary pressure from some of the from, from parts of the commodity space has most certainly not gone away and potentially could strengthen in the coming months. I think it's a vast, fascinating chart there. It's um, on slide uh, slide four. Uh, cocoa cocoa futures there rallying towards those highs back from two thousand what early eleven. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Um, and gold um, gold a lot of action. We 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 talked for weeks and weeks and weeks during uh, late July and into mid August about gold were not going anywhere. It was just sliding lower and lower. It was mm-hmm. a pretty persistent downward momentum, and then suddenly around mid August. Things turned around, and we have come back pretty hard, as you also show here on, on slide five, Ole. Yeah, and the gold started actually to move higher before we saw the peak in, uh, in yields, um, basically uh, sending a bit of a signal that uh, some some bottom fishing had started to uh, come back into the market, and um, and it really has starting. To, it has really gained some momentum uh, this past couple of weeks. I think we we. Uh, we talked about it earlier uh, previously, but the, what what triggered the turnaround? I think was really the the fact that the Chinese remember stabilized uh, because that just sent for a chain a chain reaction into uh, copper prices, which uh, recovered. That supported silver, which uh, really rallied quite strongly, and that obviously helped uh, gold as well to uh, to find the uh, find the floor. And since then, it started to find its uh, its own life. We put out a, a piece early in the week based on the cut report that came out last Friday, which I published on Monday, that uh, there has been quite a lot of short interest building in, in uh, across the metal space, gold, silver, platinum, palladium and copper in recent weeks. And uh, these are now being forced out. But uh, we're getting close to uh, some interesting levels. And I'll say if we can take out that 1950, 1948-1950 level, which is the uh, 61.8% retracement of the, 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 the sell-off we had between July and August, then really we could start talking about a, a new, uh, seeing a $2,000 print once again. And what we will be focusing on is is obviously how the market perceive the rate direction in the U.S. And I put in the SOFA contract for June next year, and you can see it's it's hovering just around five percent right now. And if if the if the if we get some get past this quarter where data is going to be strong, where, but we move into the fourth quarter where we are starting to see signs of weakness, then then potentially that could be a place to be as well. That uh, we could see quite a strong bounce. Basically, the market starting to price in uh, deeper cuts than what we are currently uh, looking at. Yeah, I um, I find the policy <coughs> trajectory from here as a fascinating puzzle. Um, I wrote about it on Monday after Jackson Hole with all these uh, different lags and different changing relationships. Um, that is what makes policy making very difficult, but also economics very difficult, is that the relationships constantly change. It's very difficult to grasp what is the real causal relationships and what drives what and at what time frame. So uh, with that said, let's swiftly move on to stocks to watch today on slide six. So the big story in Europe, there are actually two big stories, but the, the biggest one is UBS. So UBS was forced into a takeover of Credit Suisse back in March, but legally the takeover was not completed until June. So 
today we got the first consolidated um, the first consolidated quarterly results from the combined unit and um, the market you know shares up five percent so the results were better than expected then you, you can probably you will probably see all these headlines on mainstream media you know biggest uh, quarterly profit ever for a bank yada 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 but a lot of that is or most of it 95 96 percent of that is just an accounting an accounting uh, item related to negative goodwill. Um, so don't pay too much attention on that. It's the underlying so underlying earnings. And I think the, 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 the key catalyst on the upside here and what the market was really also betting on as it rallied into these earnings releases that Amati, which was formerly with UBS, then he <clears throat> then he went away and he was pulled in by the Swiss government to take care of this takeover and the and the new combined unit. And he is known to be a you know a guy that is relentless focusing on cost. And efficiencies in the organization, and the market was looking at six six billion dollar cost cutting target, or uh, aim. And uh, he is uh, pumping his chest this morning, arguing that they have found a lot of sweet things that they could cut even more. So they are looking for eight billion, and that is exactly what you want to hear as a as a shareholder of UBS, because <clears throat> if they can if they can trim the business and get Credit Suisse assets and operations not necessarily on par, but just get it much, much closer to where UBS were before, where UBS were before the the takeover, then um, this could be one of the sweetest deals in, in, in banking MIA history in the past uh, in the past decade, if they can get that right. So this is an interesting setup for UBS. Rockwool, um, we talked about it in our internal call. Construction, our construction theme basket is actually the third best theme basket on a one-year momentum. And talking about construction, Rockwool, which uh, makes insulin insulation products for uh, for European's construction industry, up seven percent this morning. They're making their second upward revision to their guidance in just two months. So track that story if you want exposure to the construction theme, and if you this is pretty well run, pretty well run company, but then obviously it comes with a little bit of a risk to the energy markets. And you and I will be talking much more about energy markets in the months to come as we approach the winter months. It's already getting colder in the mornings. I noticed that this morning here in Copenhagen. But that's we can discuss that another day. Yep. But but Salesforce is um, is something we flagged on the podcast. It's, um, it's the number two uh, software company in the world, at least if you look at the uh, enterprise application software. So Microsoft being the biggest one. And I've talked a lot about Salesforce. It's a company that for years prioritized growth above uh, anything else. Didn't really pay a lot of attention to profitability. And a lot of activist investors came in late 2022 after the big slump in technology shares. And they were banging on Salesforce to to do more. They were not. They were lazy. They were not doing enough on profitability. There was too much fat. And Mark Benioff, being the, which is the CEO and co-founder, the survivor he is, he... Um, he, uh, he he took that opportunity and they have slashed cost pretty aggressively. So um, as you can see here, the uh, the EBDA margin was uh, almost, it was more than three percentage point higher than estimated. Shares were up 5% and they actually made an upward revision to revenue. So quite strong numbers there for uh, for UBS. And let's go quickly to the earnings watch. Today's key focus is Broadcom, um, stable business, um, Linked to, it's an Apple supplier, so um, we'll be tracking that. Also, Lululemon Athletica is an interesting company because it's, it's a consumer business. And then, uh, if we look at today's uh, calendar, we have um, we have a jobs report from Germany. We have some August CPI consolidated uh, inflation figures from the eurozone. We have initial jobless claims. We have personal income and spending from July in the U.S. and the PCE deflator. So, um, lot to chew on there. And um, the PCE deflator obviously is the 
the measure that I uh, that is used by the Fed themselves. And then <clears throat> I don't expect too much action actually today. It seems like the market is quiet uh, is is quiet. Um, but we'll have uh, Chinese uh, Chinese PMI figures again uh, tomorrow. And then we'll have U.S. August the job report. Uh, so the U.S. August job report, so the non-farm payrolls basically, and then um, the ADP yesterday showed a little bit of a miss to the downside, but still job creation in the U.S. And I think with that, it's a wrap. And Will and I will be back same time and place tomorrow. We will indeed. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.